the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. A little late coming in. Don't know why, but it's 11 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're underway on this uh, Thursday, the 11th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. We're going to start immediately with our Pledge of Allegiance because we have a guest coming up here in just minutes as we uh, discuss the huge news of the day yesterday from Columbus, Ohio. Um, So, patriots, if you would please stand and face your flag. And put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are against giving the people a say in whether or not their constitution can be amended haphazardly and easily, if you really are against true democracy, which is what was affirmed yesterday in the Ohio State House, well, then you don't have to pledge your allegiance to this flag. You don't understand what liberty is anyway. You may instead take a knee next to that unemployed ex-quarterback over there. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
So if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you were somehow buried in an avalanche yesterday and you just climbed your way out of it and you don't know what's going on here, let me tell you what's going on here. Uh, yesterday was D-Day. Uh, it was the deadline day, obviously, for the Ohio House to make a decision and have a vote and pass a resolution to hold an August 8th special election in order to decide and let every Ohioan, everyone, one person, one vote for everyone, how it's supposed to work, decide if they want their constitution to be easily amended or if they want it to take some work, like a 60% uh, threshold. You know, something similar to what the United States does when it comes to changing the constitution. 75% of the states must vote to do so. Uh, many other states, most other states, have a much higher threshold, like a two-thirds, which would be 66%. 60% is still, truthfully, probably a little bit low. But um, this is what went on yesterday. It was an extremely important day. It had to get done in order to have a special election in August for all, the, all of the reasons that we've been discussing on this program for the last several months. We all know... Um, I will give credit where credit is due. I will continue to affix blame to where blame is uh, is where it is appropriate. And I will tell you this. I was going to start the program today with the familiar sound of Cool in the Gang's celebration because that's how I felt yesterday. I felt like celebrating. We finally got the speaker of the, sta- the Ohio House of Representatives, Jason Stevens, who is still holding a stolen gavel. Don't get me wrong. I am not going uh, soft on this issue when it comes to the steal of of 22. But we finally got him to do what needed to be done, and it was almost done with the help of the rest of the 22. But it wasn't. Five of the 22 still stayed out of it. In other words, they didn't stay out of it. They actually uh, they actively voted against it. They voted with the minority Democrats. And we're going to identify those five. We're going to make them more famous than they are now because we're going to make them infamous. This I can promise you. But this vote was held yesterday uh, on the Ohio House floor. It was very, very necessary. The deadline was uh, fast approaching, which, of course, would have been the end of the day yesterday. And they got it done. The reason I didn't start the show with celebration the way I normally do after something you know, very important like this is because... We don't have a ton to celebrate. Yes, we got our vote in August. We got our special election. But now the work really begins. So we can kind of simultaneously celebrate the fact that we have a shot now at lifting that threshold so that we can have a shot at stopping the 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 relentless murder of unborn babies and the transitioning of children uh, from boy to girl and girl to boy without their parental input, all of that stuff that's going to be on the ballot in November, we have a shot now uh, at changing the game in August. Uh, joining me now, I told you we had a guest coming up, and he is on the line, I am told, is State Representative Gary Click, who is one of the leaders and one of the driving forces behind getting the special election on August 8th set. Uh, Representative Gary Click joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Representative. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. I am fantabulous. This is a great day in Ohio. We are moving forward. We're giving the people their voice. We're giving them the chance and the opportunity to protect the Constitution. And uh, as I tweeted a little while ago, I have not seen the Democrats so mad since Lincoln uh, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. (laughs) They don't want to give people the voice, but we're here to do it. 
Well, let's start there, Representative Click, because the gallery yesterday in the State House was filled with protesters, screaming radicals who were livid and furious that this was even being brought up for a vote, and they wanted to convince uh, as many Republicans as they could to join the Democrats in voting against this special election. And the fact that they were unsuccessful now, they say, means that democracy died in Ohio. They said that this is an attack on democracy. Your response? Well, Bob, you know, I did not plan to speak yesterday because I felt like this resolution was in great hands with uh, Brian Stewart, who's just a tremendous leader, and he has carried this resolution, and a lot of respect for him, and I was just going to leave it to him and a few others to make the points that we needed to make. Uh, Speaker asked me if I wanted to speak ahead of time. I said, no, no, no. But the more I listened, and I've been moved, I used to be on the far right inside of the the uh the room there inside but they they've moved me uh, right to the line i sit right next to the democrats and the more that they went on and on and they were chanting one person one vote one person one vote and they said democracy dies and all this crazy talk literally crazy talk yeah i'm thinking wait a minute you're saying democracy dies if people don't get if people get to vote it's when they don't get to vote that democracy dies and if you want one person, one vote, then let's let them vote in August. And so they began chanting uh, one person, one vote, and a few of us started responding in August. You know, let the people decide. We don't get to raise the bar. We're not taking anyone's voice away. What we're doing is we are giving Ohioans the chance to choose to protect their Constitution or not. And I think Ohioans want to protect their Constitution. They don't want all these big outside interest groups. Uh, they don't want all these radical ideas that are going to come in and change the most sacred document that was written by man here in Ohio, which is our Constitution. That's a big idea document. It's not for regular legislation. And by the way, they can still do a citizen-led statute, do a citizen-initiated statute. The bar for that is still 50%. But right. you can't embed these things, these crazy things that the Democrats want to do into our Constitution. And so I just couldn't resist, so I had to stand up and speak. Uh, and, and let them know that as ele- quote unquote eloquently as they spoke, they were making our point, not theirs. Yeah, we're, I, I'm so glad that you did speak, and uh, and it's very well said. We're talking to State Representative Gary Click about the uh, uh, important passage yesterday. And you know, I know you woke up feeling fantastic and feeling great. How did you wake up yesterday? Did you feel confident going into yesterday that there was going to be a vote? We'd get it to the floor, and did you feel confident we'd have over sixty votes? I woke up very hopeful and very encouraged yesterday, but not 100% guaranteed. There, there was no guarantee, and there was talk about whether we had enough, whether we didn't have enough, whether we needed to make the two appointments in order to have enough or not to have enough. And it was a razor-thin margin, and the truth is we had right at the 60 without the two appointments. With the two appointments, we had 62. So it was a razor-thin margin uh, that we had, but... When I talk to uh, Representative Stewart, I think he's going to be with you later today, no one has more invested in this bill than he does, and he's a true champion. And he felt confident that we did have the votes, and, and no one has got a better idea of what was going on in this resolution than he did. So I felt, I felt uh, cautiously optimistic yesterday. And when we took that vote and, and we saw the results, I was just elated. I, I, I was yeah, just I... elated as they were disappointed.
I was too, and I was so glad to, to hear it. I had some people feeding me information uh, every step of the way. I wasn't in front of a, a TV to be able to watch uh, on the Ohio Channel or anything, but I was getting the information. I was elated too, but that is tempered by the fact, and that's what I started my show with today. Normally, I might have come out here and just blasted, celebrate, 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 but really, all we've won is the right to fight, and that's it. Uh, and now right. the fight begins. Now the hard work really begins. This is for naught. If we don't go out there and convince more Ohioans who want to protect the Constitution and more Ohioans who want to protect life to get out there and vote in on August 8th, um, you know, then the other side does. They want to allow babies to die and want, want to allow a lot of other horrific things to happen, not to mention future ballot initiatives uh, that uh, might be brought forth to change the Ohio Constitution. So all we want is the right to work harder. You're absolutely right, 100%. And this gives us the chance. I think this will be the highest turnout for an August election ever in Ohio's history. That's my belief. And it's going to be a battle of who turns out their voters. That's really what it's going to be. So the victory has not been won, but the, the groundwork has been laid for the victory. And now it's, it's out of my hands as a legislator other than to uh, inform and to encourage and to advise folks. But it's your listeners that have to show up to the polls. And you know what I would like to is you know the election is august the 8th but i think we are 30 you can start voting 30 days ahead of time and i think we ought to just start banking our votes banking our supporters 30 days ahead of time go to your board of elections cast your ballot say yes for hjr or for sjr2 and or, and vote yes on this uh, because that's what it's going to take the and the democrats for us this is not just about abortion but it is for the Democrats. They want to exploit the weakness in our Constitution, and Ohio has the weakest referendum until we get this passed to pass anything, 50% plus one vote, and that's it. And so if we don't get this done, the Democrats will exploit this weakness that we have in our Constitution, and they will pass a referendum that will allow you to kill a baby at any stage any time along the way, and you do not even have to have parental consent. Uh, I had a guy come up to me and ask me if I would sign his petition. He didn't know who I was, so I started asking him questions. I was videotaping him, by the way, also. You can check that on my social media. And, um, as a matter of fact, it made it on to, I, I think, the Daily Caller showed that video as well. And that you know, he was lying about it. He says, this isn't pro-abortion or anti-abortion, which it is. It, it's pro-abortion. It's pro-killing babies. And he was paid by some petition group hired by Planned Parenthood. He lives in Michigan, and he's down here trying to collect signatures to kill babies in Ohio. And if right. we do not take action, the Democrats will exploit that weakness in our Constitution. There's Parents no don't have, won't have to know uh, any child, any age. He even admitted that minors could do this with other parents. You know, someone could assault a teenage, a coach could assault a teenage girl, get her pregnant, and then take her to get an abortion without her parents ever knowing it. That uh, makes our that, young children even more and more vulnerable. It's it's a horrific prospect, what they're going to put up on that uh, ballot in November. There's no doubt about it. Let me go back to yesterday, though, quickly, uh, Representative Gary Click. Um, there's, there's 10 people that need to be uh, addressed here, 
And we're talking about John Cross, Adam Holmes, Mike Loichik, Gail Manning, Sharon Ray. All five of them voted against changing the election from November to the special election in August. And then, once we got the vote, uh, Brett Hillier, Tom Patton, Jay Edwards, Jeff LeRae, and Jamie Callender joined the Democrats and voted against having the special election and against SJR2. What needs to happen? Can you even work with these individuals when you go back to work? So, you know, Bob, I'm not going to focus on that right now. And, you know, you know, you know, I've been very straightforward in how I feel about a lot of things from day one, from January 3rd. I've been very vocal, uh, not held back. But I will say that uh, Speaker Stevens did the right thing yesterday, and I will commend him for that, and, and I appreciate that. I've been talking to him all along the way, telling him why that is important, why he needs to do that. And, you know, despite how I feel about January 3rd, and that has not changed one bit, I will say that he has done the right thing, and I want to give him credit for doing the right thing. Fair enough, and I'll give him credit, too. I feel like he was uh, his feet were held to the fire there. I don't think this is something he wanted to do. I do believe that he was paying fealty to uh, to the Democrats that he, that gave him his uh, his gavel, uh, but that is a, a conversation, I guess, for, for another time, uh, because we'll see what right. the Democrats do now. Uh, Alison Russo is livid. So are all the rest of the Democrats who are in that Oh, chamber. yeah, they're hot. Yeah. So listen, they, they were already trying to whip votes uh, to, you know, they, they called me and asked me, you know, tried to get out where I would stand and if I would support it. And I just, I wouldn't give them anything. You know, if something's going to be done, I'm, I'm not going to do I'm not going to join the Democrats to do it. And it's not going to be because he's done the right thing, you know. And, you know, he's, there's things he does, and he knows I'm very straightforward in my conversations with him. And, you know, we are able to have straightforward conversations. You know me, I don't pull any punches. I will tell you when you do right. I'll tell you when you do wrong. Uh, and and so, I, you know, I have that relationship with him where he will listen when I tell him. Well, either way, he listens to what I have to say. And I do right. respect at least that much. And I think he respects the fact that I'm straightforward with him. And whatever I tell him is, is truly what I feel and where I stand and what I'll do. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and for now, I'll take what I can get, and uh, and that's good enough. By the way, I loved your video. Declined to sign Marco for Michigan's uh, uh, baby killing referendum. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to be playing that for the folks too, so they can hear it too. Gary Click, state representative, uh, successful job yesterday, obviously, but the work only now begins to make sure that we turn out the vote Amen. and defeat this thing in uh, in August. Uh, or actually, we want to pass this thing. We want to pass the 60 percent resolution in August, you should say, but defeat the Democrats. Uh, Gary Click, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Bob. You're a true champion. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, too. It's 926. He mentioned uh, Brian Stewart, State Representative Brian Stewart. He's going to be joining me as well. That'll be in the 10 o'clock hour. We're loaded today, just so you know. Coming up after the bottom of the hour break, Judge Janine Pirro will join me. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper at 1010. We're going to talk to uh, Brian Stewart uh, at 1035, State Representative, get his perspective on what happened yesterday. And, of course, we welcome you when we can get to you, 216 right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Always win the answer. And you hit the nail on the head. You said tax evasion. 
Farah, they are lobbying. Hunter is lobbying in foreign countries. Every right. every penny. Of the, I know you got a time. Every country, every penny from China is from a Chinese Communist Party connected company. Why? Why are we watching spy crafts go across our country? Why are we buying lithium batteries from China? Why are we shutting down fossil fuels in the Americas? You know that voice and you know that passion. It comes from one Judge Janine Pirro, author of a fantastic new, very important book, Crimes Against America. The left's takedown of our republic. Some of those were outlined yesterday by uh, by uh, James Comer and uh, the rest of the Republicans on the Oversight Committee. She's also the co-host of the Five on the Fox News Channel. And Judge Janine Pirro joins us right now on AM 1420, The Answer. Judge, good morning. Good morning. I tell you, listen to yourself. <laughs> I was pretty fired up last night. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much. And I'm glad you're fired up. We have to be fired up. You know, um, there are a few things that I want to talk to you about, particularly about Crimes Against America, which is just so apropos, the title of your book, based on yesterday's presentation, of not conspiracy theory and not conjecture and not witch hunting and, 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 and not opinions, bank records showing over $10 million in payments funneled from China, Romania, and other foreign uh, actors uh, through shell corporations created by Biden family associates, and then portions of payments made directly to Biden bank accounts. Judge, that's a crime against America, at least as far as I see it. Well, it's not only a crime against America, it is a crime by the Biden family. It is, and, and I speak from 30 years having been a prosecutor and a judge, it is an organized criminal enterprise. And Joe Biden is the front man. Hunter Biden is the bag man. This all happened when Joe Biden was the vice president. What This is how it would go down. The Biden Joe would go into countries where he had an outsized influence as the vice president. So in Ukraine, he was a point man uh, on energy. And so he goes in there and says, if you don't if you don't fire the prosecutor investigating the company that my son is on the board of, uh, we won't give you $1 billion in American money. Now, first of all, who the hell is he to wrap himself in the American flag and all the prestige and power that goes with it and then say we're going to leverage uh, our taxpaying dollars unless you t- get rid of the prosecutor on my son's company? This is th- And then his son comes in and gets a couple friends on the board, and they rake millions. Then he goes to Romania. He goes there to lecture on anti-corruption. And he goes through the front door wrapped in the American flag and in the back door is Hunter getting a million dollars from a corrupt Romanian who is under indictment for corruption and is ultimately convicted. And they give a million dollars to Hunter. What they then do is they create shell corporations, LLCs, and the money is distributed. Why is the money distributed to so many people, so many Biden? because they can't possibly put it in one or two bank accounts. $10 million in one year? You can't do that. So they spread it around and hope that no one will find it. And honestly, we are living in a country where the Department of Justice can invite George, uh, indict George Santos in a matter of a couple of months and in six years can't figure out how to indict Hunter Biden for a pistol permit application that he lied on for a gun that he shouldn't have gotten that was thrown out in a garbage can next to a school. But what we've got is the takedown of America. We've got the takedown of the education system by Randy Weingarten and all that COVID money 
and uh, you know the fact that our kids were not going to school while they were going to school in China and Russia and other places, and we've got to take down to the Department of Justice where parents are end up being called domestic terrorists if they care about their children and what they're being taught in school. So, uh, and then you look at the border. Title Forty Two is coming down now. Five million people have surged the southern border during the first two years of the Biden administration. Another seven to ten million will come through in the next two years. Where are these people going? And as they say, the Republicans are going to cut Medicare and Medicaid. We don't have to cut it. Not that we would. But Medicaid isn't going to there's not going to be any money left by the time we take care of the illegals coming into this country with education, medication, housing and destroying cities. I mean, this is what the left wants. They want to take down America. We're talking with Judge Jeanine Pirro. Her book, her latest book, is Crimes Against America, The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. Believe me, I've got plenty of questions for you about Title 42 and the debt ceiling and the culture wars. But real quick, just going back to yesterday and the Oversight Committee's presentation, the response to that from the FBI was astounding. They have essentially ignored the FBI Oversight Committee subpoena compelling the production of an FBI mm-hmm. document that a whistleblower says describes that criminal scheme. You know, Nancy Mace, uh, Representative Mace yesterday, well, the, the, I thought had the best line of the of the morning when she said, yeah, you know, it's time for the DOJ here. to get off its ass get and investigate. Yep. Well, here's the FBI under the auspices of the DOJ saying, yeah, not only we're not going to investigate, we're not going to respond to subpoenas. Yep. Well, and you know, the shame of this is this is a republic and Congress was given the right and the power of oversight over other uh, 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 other departments. And uh, they are not exercising or they're not yielding to the demand. And that is what's going on. And that, uh, that small example of what we've seen over the last few years when the Democrats have been in power, they will ignore a subpoena. They will ignore crimes. They will indict you for a crime that, that they've committed and they walk free. This is this is something that I think people need to recognize is creating a a, a leftist socialist America, where the world leaders look at us and laugh at this president of ours who, you know, walks away when people in the press ask him questions, and then the press don't even care. You know, you would think the press would have get involved in some kind of investigative journalism, but they just fall right into place like some kind of a leftist Marxist socialist uh, group when they say, oh, that laptop is Russian disinformation. Okay, it's Russian disinformation. Weren't you the head of the CIA? Why are you lying to the American people? And they agreed that they did it so Joe Biden would have a talking point when he debated uh, Donald Trump. Uh, This is, and it goes beyond just that. It's the suppression of the First Amendment. It's the suppression of of the fact that people are not now being allowed to uh, express themselves. And, And not just in terms of education. How about law and order? You get arrested, you get let, let out immediately. Now, I prosecuted enough pedophiles in my life to know that a pedophile, as soon as he gets out of jail, is looking for the next kid to molest. And they let them out and say, oh, no, no, this is social justice. They have to be free. Hogwash. It's time for law and order in this country. And we've got homeless living in the biggest uh, cities. And, you know, it, it, they're fornicating. They're, they're defecating. They're, they're open drug markets. And they pass legislation 
so that they can do these open drug uh, markets. It, this is lunacy. It is all of that. Uh, Judge Judine Pierro is our guest. She is, of course, the co-host on the of the Five on Fox News Channel. She is also the author of Crimes Against America: The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. Let's talk about the end of Title Forty Two and what we are seeing huh. right now. Literally, in just in the last four days, they're having over ten thousand illegal crossings a day. And and yeah. here's the thing: by the White House said on Monday, Judge, that Biden would veto immigration reform put forth. This bill put forth by the GOP. It would require finishing the wall. It would require more Border Patrol agents and more financial incentives for those agents to do their jobs. It would end catch-and-release policies and all kinds of other initiatives to better manage that humanitarian and security crisis at the border. Why is Biden killing that before it even gets out, uh, gets to, to a floor vote? Because this is what he wants. He wants America to be flooded with illegals. This, is, this isn't something that they don't know is happening. You know, where they clean up a border area so someone can go down and say, see, everything is fine here. What they want are people who are going to come into this country and vote Democrat. And they are doing that, uh, and uh, they are not allowing for any kind of vetting. I mean, I want to know, look, we're all immigrants. Let's make that clear. We're all immigrants. We came here. Our families came here legally. They come here and demand rights immediately. They demand the education, the medication, the housing. You know, we're giving them phones. We're bringing them or we're flying them all over the country. We're busing them into the interior. Here in Westchester County, New York, where I live, they're bringing, flying them in the middle of the night for the last two years and then denying it. And in the end, what they want is an America that is, you know, a, nothing more than a globalist landing spot with benefits. We are no longer a sovereign nation. We are no longer a nation that is protected by borders. Come one, come all. I want to know, who's a pedophile? Who's a thief? Who's a rapist? Who's a murderer? Who's an MS-13 gang member? Hey, you want to come here and work legally? God bless you. That's what, you know, we want that. We need workers. But I want to separate the two. I want to know who's coming here to work and who's coming here because of the drug cartels. The drug cartels are literally uh, in, in, uh, in controlling the border. Fentanyl is coming from China through the Mexican border. They already have arteries throughout the United States where fentanyl is being used to poison and kill American kids. We've had 100,000 die in the last year. How many more this year? For two years, fentanyl didn't even come off of Joe Biden's mouth. Not that the man could do a press conference in any event. But there is no concern for the American citizen. There is no concern for people who pay the taxes and then pay the taxes and then work a second job and then follow the law and do everything right, and they get punished for the smallest thing. This is a takedown of America. It is a crime against America. They have been doing it, and it will happen quickly. Anyone who lived in Venezuela will tell you it happened quickly. Venezuela was a very rich country. It was an oil-rich country that is now a disaster. And that's what they want for this country. And you say to yourself, well, why would they do it to themselves? Because they're not affected, because they're the part of the big clique in Washington that takes care of each other, that's got money coming in from all over. I mean, how does a Biden family, this guy, his wife is a teacher. He's been in government his whole life. How does that family get $10 million in one year? And why is it going into so many kids? You know, the daughter, the sister-in-law, the lover, the ex-wife, whatever it is. 
They're doing it because they can't show $10 million in one or two accounts. This is corruption at the highest level of government. They would never, Putin would never have gone into Ukraine if Donald Trump were president. And Joe Biden just stumbles away and laughs his smirk at the press as though I don't have to answer anything you say. This is a bad time in America, and that's why I wrote Crimes Against America. It is a takedown of the republic. It is all of that, and that's so well said. And and Judge Piero, uh, Judge Jean Piero's, I guess, uh, Crimes Against America. I'm going to say her book again and again. Crimes Against America: The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. Um, it, the other threat that we're facing right now is the potential default on our debt. Um, and this debt ceiling fight, uh, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy said, Speaker McCarthy said uh, uh, yesterday that his sit-down on Tuesday was not productive, but they will sit down again on Friday. And the White House continues to send messaging through the diversity yep. hire known as Corrine Jean-Pierre that says, <laughs> we are not uh, we are not a, a deadbeat nation. We pay our bills. When we borrow money, we pay it back. Is this the same administration that is telling millions of student loan borrowers they don't they don't have to pay their debts and they don't have to be deadbeats. I'm just kind of curious how they get away with that. Well, it's not only the same nation that says don't worry about the fact that you contracted to pay back your student loan. Uh, this is the grandfather of a, of a child he won't even recognize where his son is a deadbeat dad in court in Arkansas trying to get his child support payments reduced with a family that is is so empathic and so empathetic, and that's why they they elected Joe Biden. He's such a good family man. They won't even recognize the seventh grandchild. And, you know, it is a shame. This is a family that says one thing and does another. And the truth is, Joe Biden is just too damn old to run for president. He's too damn old. If he can't do a press conference, let me ask you this. How the hell does he sit in a meeting with world leaders if he can't come out and even tell the press what happened. I mean, this is, it, it's like a shell game. And I said it in all my other books, Liars, Leakers, Liberals, you know, and the rest of them. It was a Trojan horse. Joe Biden was a Trojan horse, came in as a moderate, and is running like a progressive. And, 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 and AOC and, and Bernie Sanders are tickled pink with him. And this green new nonsense, I don't know about you, but I don't want an electric car. There isn't an infrastructure that can contain an electric car. And I don't want an electric car where the battery is from China. I don't want to give China any more money. They took enough from America. They took lives and they took business. They took education from us. And Joe Biden let them spy, uh, send a spy craft balloon across the United States. And there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that. And I think maybe some, some of what we learned yesterday in that oversight presentation uh, tells us what some of those reasons were. Judge, last yeah, question for you. Yeah, that's right. The last question for you. As, as we talk about the takedown of our republic, they start, or at least this is an integral part, by taking down our children. And um, I want to talk about what they're doing. This is an attempted kidnapping of an entire generation, known as Generation Z. Uh, the kids born in 1997 or after, they are raising these kids. You know, it used to be the indoctrination was kind of limited to the university level. They literally start it now at the pre-K level. And we know this because yeah. they advertise it and they post videos of themselves, preschool teachers, with their pride flags, teaching little children they don't have to be boys if they don't want to be, teaching little pre-K kids they don't have to be girls if they don't want to be. This is kidnapping. This is indoctrination. This is almost cultish, what they're doing in brainwashing these kids. How how much of a role does that play in the, quote, takedown of this republic? 
Well, it it, it is. It, you know, it, it is a total takedown. I mean, they've taken our kids' minds. I mean, we now know it because who's running the big corporations now that are giving so much money to the Black Lives Matter, not the movement, the organization. And then they find out that the organization, you know, uh, is spending money buying homes in California. Uh, but now, in addition to their minds and the leftist ideology, they're mutilating them. They're allowing them. And Joe Biden wants this to happen, to be able to change sex while they're minors and not even adults. I mean, this is lunacy. And, you know, even that word is too easy. It is. It's mutilation. It's lunacy. It's indoctrination because um, they they want it's almost like they want one sex. They want everyone to drive one car. They want everyone, you know, to be of one one ilk. And it just, it doesn't bode well. It's not what this country is about. And the takedown of this country, we see it in every one of our institutions. Uh, and when they start threatening the United States Supreme Court justices in front of their house and no one gets arrested, when there is a law that, that allows for and mandates the arrest of these people, uh, of federal law, you know, then we've got a real problem. We've got a DOJ that's corrupt. Merrick Garland could care less. He can't even figure out how to indict uh, Hunter Biden and says, oh, I'm not stopping the guy from doing it. I mean, this is all bobbledygook. I mean, they just talk nonsense. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It so. is. It's 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 a uh, it's it's so so tragic the the mutilation they're doing of these kids. You know the best. Uh, we'll close it here, Judge Jeanine Pirro. The best example that I heard, the best comparison, I guess, is that you know when a teenager is uh, distraught, is is filled with anxiety and depression, oftentimes they resort to cutting. They literally will cut their arms and cut lines yeah. in their in their bodies and make themselves bleed. Yeah. Self mutilation. And whenever that happens yeah. and someone discovers it, what do they do? They take those kids to psychotherapists to help them get the psychological help they need. But when a kid wants to take cutting to another level and yep. cut off their breasts or their penises, they're saying, let's do that. Instead of getting them psychotherapy, they take them to doctors to do the cutting for them, Judge. Yeah, well... Um I think we just lost they're, Judge Pirro. Oh, yes, oh, there she is. Yeah, we got you back. Yes, Go ahead, Judge, it, please. It's almost as though they're nullifying um, their role as a human being. They're they're like a eunuch. They're like they're nothing. You're, you're going to think this way. You're going to act this way, and we're going to control you. And it is um, it, it is something that is beyond even my description. I don't know how to describe it. I find it stunning. And you know what? I think that in terms of businesses, what we saw with Bud Light is an example of how America doesn't buy into that crap. But at the same time, you know, if they go after the kids, then they'll have them uh, in a position where they are just like willing sheep, just doing whatever they want. Well, so, Judge, you said you and you can't describe it, but I think you can, and you've done it in this book. It's Crimes Against America, the left's takedown of our republic. If anybody can put it into words that we can consume and understand, I know you can. Uh, your previous books are a great indicator of that. So, Judge Pirro, thank, thank you. you so much for the time. God bless you. I appreciate you very much, and, uh, and oh, thank you for the great work you, you. do. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for the time. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you, Judge. That's Judge Jeanine Pirro. The book is Crimes Against America, The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. Cannot recommend that highly enough. Now, it's uh, 9.54, so we'll take a time out here. we got to get caught up. I told you we're loaded for bear today. Uh, we got Dr. Everett Piper coming up after the top of the hour. We've got uh, State Representative Brian Stewart coming up at 10.35. So we are loaded up, and we got a lot of work to do. Stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. 
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll on this very, very busy Thursday edition of Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It's eight minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock. It's the 11th morning of the fifth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to State Representative Gary Click. Thanks also to Judge Jeanine Pirro. Uh, we've got State Representative Brian Stewart coming up after the bottom of the hour to talk about yesterday's very, very important events in Columbus. But right now, it's time to once again re-engage in the culture wars. And one of our leaders in this battle is Dr. Everett Piper, who joins us once again. He's a best-selling author. He's a columnist. He is a radio host. Uh, his uh, program is called The Rebellion, by the way. Get that wherever you watch or rather listen to your podcasts. Uh, he is also uh, a former university president. And uh, Dr. Piper, it's good to have you back. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, Bob. Good to be on your show. So we're going to start. Um, uh, we've got three things we're going to discuss, Doctor Piper, but we're not going to go in uh, in the order. I want to save the uh, the rebellion commentary about the circular firing squad of conservatism in a moment. But I want to start with your most recent column for the Washington Times. For those who don't know, Doctor Piper's columns are uh, they run every uh, Saturday, right, Doctor Piper, in uh, the Times, Washington Times. Uh, it varies sometimes. I submit them every Friday for a deadline, and sometimes they put them in Friday, sometimes Sunday, but over the okay. weekend, yeah. So hunt for them uh, uh, starting on Saturdays, and you may find it on Saturday, you may find it on Sunday at the Washington Times website. So, Dr. Piper, I always like to pick out a line or two of your columns when I read them to kind of summarize and to lead us into a discussion, and this one is going to be the consequences of abandoning truth have had a devastating effect on our culture and the way we live our daily lives. That's a comment that you made in the answer to the question about artificial intelligence. Is it good for education? And um, just to give people a little thumbnail sketch here, uh, education is not information, and information is not necessarily education. Are they, Dr. Piper? Uh, no. Uh, I'd argue that they're the antithesis of one another. and You know that's the basis of my column. Mm-hmm. This This argument... Um, well, it's not an argument. The, the the burgeoning artificial intelligence discussion. And, you know, just a handful of years ago, we all looked at that with maybe uh, some curiosity. and It was kind of an interesting academic discussion. But I don't know that I thought this AI stuff would become as dangerous as it is today. But indeed, it has. So basically, we need to answer the question. Is education about information or is it about something else? Is it more than that? And I would argue as an educator that it's much more than that. I mean, you can acquire reams of information and still be a very uneducated person. Um, Just being able to access uh, information on your iPhone, for example, with your thumbs, doesn't make you an educated person, but you could have access to volumes of information. But if you don't have the ability to critique that information and to tell the difference between what's true and what's false, what's right and wrong, what's beautiful and ugly, um, and what's evil and what's what's actually just and good. If you don't have the ability to understand, critique, and digest the information that you're uh, getting, whether it be via Google, your iPhone, or even in a classroom, you're not an educated person. You're nothing but a sponge, and you're just regurgitating the things that people have fed to you. 
Uh, and frankly, that's what's wrong with the educational establishment right now. We think we're educating people when all we're doing is giving them reams of information. Think of it this way, Bob. If you implanted a chip in your brain that did exactly what your iPhone does so that you don't have to use your thumbs any longer, you can just access your iPhone via your thoughts in your brain, well, you'd have access to everything immediately. Whatever information you want, it's there. But are you educated? No, you're not. And the other danger of AI, in my view, that's is not, not just far that off, it's, Dr. Piper. I'm sorry to interrupt, no, but um, that's no, not, not far off, is it? No, Elon Musk is talking about that. I like Elon. I think he's a great guy. But I've watched one of his podcasts. I don't know whether it was TED Talk or what it was, where he was talking about the, in the very near future, why carry the iPhone? Why not just have a chip implanted into your brain? Well, sounds great, doesn't it? But what does that chip access? Does it just access information or does it access morality? Does it give you the ability to think critically? Does it generate or um, does it foster a virtuous society or is it just a society with volumes of stuff at its fingertips? Or in this case, you don't even need your fingertips any longer uh, by virtue of this chip. And, and then what about the information? Where is it coming from? Uh, the founder of Google is saying he wants to create a digital God. We've talked about that before. Yes. Well, if God is digital, and that means all God is, is information and not morality, not justice, not virtue, not being able to tell the difference between good and evil, if all it is is information, then whatever that AI God is is nothing but all the junk and all the stuff that's been programmed into it, Guess what? It probably has been programmed to think global warming is absolutely a fact and that it'd be better off to have fewer human beings in the world rather than more. It's probably been programmed to buy the LGBTQ lie that women don't exist, that they're nothing but a fabrication and fantasy of a social construct of dys dysphoric and delusional males. So all of a sudden, this god of information is giving you all this junk and all this garbage, and that's all you're going to learn? because you no longer have the ability to do what you and I are doing right now, and that's think critically, debate, argue, and have a good, robust change of ideas pursuing truth, because truth is bigger and better than just information. that makes sense? It, it makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, I, I've been actually thinking about doing an entire show on AI and its and the threat that it poses in the near future. Um, because what what you just said, I mean, the most important part of education to me is not learning stuff, like you said, gathering information, a sponge that is, you know, absorbs it and then, you know, regurgitates it when it's squeezed. Um, it's learning to learn. That's what, that's what makes education so valuable, learning to learn. For example, I cannot remember at any time in my five plus decades on this planet that I've ever used algebra, but I had to learn algebra, not because of what I was learning, because it was teaching me how to problem solve. It was teaching me how to learn, which I have used. I cannot remember any algebraic principles, but I do remember, uh, how to solve problems because of that. And the irony here, Dr. Piper, is that AI doesn't require us to learn. It just gives you the information while simultaneously learning to learn. That's what these, you know, these new tech gods among us, and I use that small g, are trying to do is teach the, you know, the AI to learn from itself and to continue to become, and again, I don't want to get all, you know, sci-fi here with the Terminator stuff with Skynet and so forth, but to become essentially self-guiding. And, and that's the irony. We're literally teaching the machines to do what we ourselves no longer want to do, and that's learn how to learn. 
You know, it, it, I think it was 2016-17. I was blessed that my uh, board of trustees gave me a, a sabbatical, and they bought uh, they bought me five weeks in Oxford, England, to study at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. And I was a kid in the candy store. I was having a blast studying at the knee of some of the finest Christian scholars in the world. Well, one of the presentations we had then was on artificial intelligence. And the presenter, the lecturer, the professor came in and said, let's suppose this. We've invented artificial intelligence, a mega computer, and we've programmed it to do one thing and one thing only, and that is preserve the human species to make it the safest world possible for human beings. Let's suppose that AI, artificial intelligence, figures out that the best way to preserve the human species and make it safe is to put each one of us in a 10-foot by 10-foot cubicle separate from one another, buried 10 feet underground with sanitized air pumped into it and feed us uh, intravenously with sanitized food, nutrition. So now we're not going to get diseases because we, we are not exposed to pollution and bad food, and we won't even be um, subjecting ourselves to interpersonal conflict like war because we can't talk to one another. We're isolated from one another. The, re- the lecturer stopped and said, if AI decides that's what's best for human beings because it'll keep us safe and maybe even preserve our lives to an average of 95 years uh, longevity rather than 75, is that what you want? Is that good for the human being? Is that what human beings were made for? And I hope the answer would be no, that's not good for us. But here we are. AI could start making those decisions for us because it doesn't have any ability to understand what God understands, and that is we're created in the image of God. We're the, we're the Imago Dei. We're not the Imago Dog. We're not supposed to be kind in a pen. We are free human beings with intellectual capacity and cognitive abilities, and those abilities to critique and understand good and evil, right and wrong, moral uh, culpability is something that makes us human. And just preserving us for an extra 20 years longevity doesn't mean anything if we're nothing but caged animals. That's very well said, Dr. Piper. Very well said, indeed. And, and by the way, you know, Elon Musk, who, as you pointed out, is kind of one of the leaders uh, at the forefront of the, the tech leaders of this technology where he talks about wanting the chip and so forth. Uh, even he, along with other tech leaders about six weeks ago, has said this is getting a little bit out of hand and a little bit too quickly. They're calling for a pause in out-of-control AI technology, literally because of the risks to society, as he phrased it. Um, some have you know, accused him of saying, ah, he's just behind some of the others, like in the chat GPT, uh, and so he wants to catch up. But, um, but I do think that some of these people realize that what they're creating does have a potential negative impact on people and on our culture and our society, on our, 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 our humanity, quite frankly, because we're talking about, you know, we, we get into the idea of transhumanism, and uh, the reality is that that melding, that merging together of man and machine uh, is something that would literally affect all of humanity, and it would essentially dehumanize us. And even Elon Musk and some others seem to realize that. So there's mm, got to yeah. be some sort of a, some sort of at least tapping of the brakes there, uh, and I hope that is what happens. Dr. Piper, it's 1019. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back and talk about the circular firing squad of conservatism in America. That's next, AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty much what we were discussing, <laughs> the creation of, of human uh, bots, if you will. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it's 1023. Dr. Everett Piper continues with us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. So from transhumanism and AI to um, the culture war. Dr. Piper, conservatives versus liberals used to be as simple as that. It's not anymore. As a matter of fact, especially since liberalism does not really define what I seem to, or what I would term to be the uh, the enemy in these culture wars. We're talking about full-on Marxists, socialists, and communists who do not have uh, any interest whatsoever in freedom uh, for the people, for the masses. But uh, in the battle, uh, conservatives, you say, are turning the guns inward and on themselves. Kind of a circular firing squad here. People can't listen to all 30 minutes of your rebellion in the six minutes we have left, so why don't you give us the thumbnail sketch? Well, I'm calling our own to task here. This is self-criticism, so I'm going to take some people off. We need to stop. We need to just stop assuming that a conservative who disagrees with you on, for example, the best presidential candidate, okay? If I'm for DeSantis, am I of the devil? If you're for Trump, am I going to ostracize you and not talk to you any longer? Or can we come together and recognize that we have a common goal, that we share common cause, and we actually want to win the game? But that's not what conservatives are doing right now. We've got derangement syndrome on both sides of the fence, because if you're for one candidate, you're bad. If you're for the other candidate, you're bad. You're evil, and we're we're just gonna we're just gonna assume that you're worse than the Democrats. You're worse than the progressives because you're not in agreement with me. We're dealing in this with this in small town Oklahoma right now on the issue of whether or not we can stop drag queen performances in our community. Well, our local attorney, who is a conservative Christian, has actually got the local LGBTQ cabal to agree not to have any drag queen performances for a full year, zero, no performances at all for a full year, ceasefire on this issue. We won't do it in any of the public parks. I think that's a move in the right direction. So I'm trying to support the attorney because he got them to back down a little bit. But all of a sudden, everybody who I've been speaking for for decades in terms, I mean, who is more, who's more aggressive on speaking out against the LGBTQIA nonsense than me. I mean, why am I in question now? Because I'm saying, look, this is a move in the right direction. It's not a Hail Mary pass. We didn't get a touchdown like we want, but at least we gained three or four yards. All of a sudden, we're turning around and shooting our own rather than fighting the enemy. That's a perfect anecdote for what's going on nationally, whether it be LGBTQIA or whether it be the Trump-DeSantis debate or whoever else we're talking about. We're shooting our own. And the lesson we need to learn here is the lesson of William Wilberforce. He fought for over 20 years on the floor of the British Parliament for the abolition of the slave trade, not the abolition of slavery. Why? Because he knew incremental gain was important, that he had to gain a victory by increments. He couldn't get it all in one fell swoop. In fact, it took him 20 years to get the slave trade abolished. And then what? the next domino to fall, as soon as he accomplished that, was he won the ultimate victory, and slavery as a whole was abolished in the United Kingdom. Incrementalism is not good. The left is good at it. Conservatives are terrible at incrementalism because we shoot our own and we devour each other. We eat our young rather than working together for the common good and the common goal. Why do you think that is? Why, why, is, that so, why is that lost, that concept lost on so many of us? 
Uh, and, 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 you know, because the, the the left, for all of their faults and flaws, they do unify. They do circle around one another, and they don't <laughs> they don't pull their guns when they do that. They circle the wagons, if you will, um, very very well, much more effectively than we do. One, sometimes I think that is actually to our benefit. It means we are not you know uh, slaves to groupthink, and we are all you know we have different ideas, and we are willing to do you know different things and disagree with ourselves. It's what makes us. It's what makes us. Um, I think better and more well-rounded people. But on the other hand, when we do, uh, you know, when when we do separate that way, when we become divided amongst ourselves, obviously we know the old phrase about that's how a house collapses. Uh, you know, I don't know for sure why we do it more than others. It seems that we do, but I'm sure liberals are mad at each other all the time too. And I'm not in their camp as much as I am talking to people like you, and therefore I just don't see it. But yeah. it feels like we're just losing this battle because. We're trying to throw Hail Marys every day, every play. Throw for a touchdown, throw for a touchdown. And we forget the old uh, uh, Bo Beckler and um, Woody uh, Hayes model of football, and that is pound it up the middle, three yards, three yards, three yards. You lose one or two, fine, you're still progressing toward the goal line. We forget that strategy of gamesmanship, and we just want to win right off the bat. Part of it is we've lost the ability to talk about strategy, and I think another issue here, Bob, is we've lost trust in one another. That's what I'm dealing with right now, is because people don't trust this Christian conservative attorney that's trying to help Bartlesville, Oklahoma, make sense out of this nonsense of drag performances in front of children, because we've lost trust because of the uh, craziness of our times, it's hard for us to even trust a conservative, when we see his efforts to try to move the ball in the right direction. Dr. Piper, i got two minutes left. Let's just hit this one quickly. Body positivity. I, I, I thought oh. this was a very interesting tweet uh, that you commented on and that you shared with me. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you saw and how you feel about it? Okay, it's a football game, uh, halftime, and there's a performance, and they've got a bunch of women in skin-tight leotards out there dancing. Uh, and I'm not trying to disparage people that wrestle with their weight, but all of these women are, I'm going to guess, 300 pounds, I don't know, maybe more. And they're dancing, and uh, seriously, I mean, this is a mockery of what's what's acceptable. It's a mockery of women. It's a mockery of beauty. It's 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 Orwellian, in my view. It's two plus two equals five, or maybe sometimes three. It's the denial of what we know to be true about what's good for human beings. It's the denial of physical health. It's not good for people to be obese. Why are we celebrating it to the point where people are being put on a pedestal because they're 200 pounds overweight and they're, they're unhealthy? COVID taught us that people die because they're obese. We've known that. Every cardiologist in the world has told us, lose weight. You need to lose 20 pounds. It'd be good for you to do so. But yet we're, this body positivity is causing us to deny everything that's real to the point we deny beauty, we deny health, we deny everything. Two plus two is five. Maybe sometimes it's three, but it's never four. You know, uh, and and for you to call this out, in, in the interest of modeling good behavior and modeling healthy lifestyles and healthy habits, as opposed to what you saw there, you're the one who will be attacked for so-called fat shaming. 
or or yep. you know you know you know for not being inclusive of all different body sizes. And you're not saying these people should be ostracized, but they also shouldn't be celebrated for something that is not. Na- and by the way, I struggle with my weight. I go up and down like a yo-yo, and I'm on an upside right now, so it's not a good thing for me. So I, I believe me, I get it. But you know what I don't do? I don't go out there and show my out of shape body and 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 model it and shake it as a as a as a you know as a representation to kids about hey, this is something you want to look like. You don't want to do that. That's just. You know, just, now I've got that image in my head the rest of the day, Bob. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> uh, there you go, truffle shuffle. There you go, Josh said uh, from the Goonies. <laughs> Dr. Everett Piper, thank you so much. I appreciate it, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. All right. It's at 1031. We're late. We'll come back on the other side of this newscast with uh, State Representative Brian Stewart on yesterday's huge accomplishment in the Ohio State House. That's coming up on Always Right Radio. Always right radio on the answer. Well, we got it right yesterday. It might not be always right in the uh, state house in Columbus, Ohio. We might be always right here on the radio, but always right not all the time in uh, in the state house. As a matter of fact, there was uh, there was a lot of hand wringing. There was a lot of uh, 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 a lot of uh, uh, pressure. A lot of people were worried. A lot of anxiety. Uh, that we were going to get this done yesterday, in part because the unified Republican Party died on January 3rd when uh, about 22 members of the supermajority in the Ohio State House uh, departed from the majority and uh, gave the gavel in the Ohio State House to Jason Stevens. And since that time, we haven't known what in the living world Jason Stevens was doing, whether or not he was going to back the conservative agenda he said he would, or whether or not he was going to be in debt to the Democrats to the point where he might have to sell out one of the most important conservative items on the agenda, and that is, of course, our pro-life agenda. And uh, yesterday we found out we got it done. We got it done. There will be a special election in August, and this is due in large part to the work of State Representative Brian Stewart, who is, of course, representative for District 12. He joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about how it all went down. Representative Stewart, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? I'm great, Bob. Thanks for having me back. Always, always a pleasure. I talked to Gary Click this morning, Representative Click, and I asked him how he felt this morning compared to yesterday. He was ecstatic and elated this morning. Yesterday, he said he was hopeful. How did you go into deadline day yesterday, May 10th? Well, Bob, I mean, we've been working on this for six months, and uh, I've told people leading up to it, I mean, my, my odds of uh, my, my predictions had been kind of veering back and forth pretty wildly. Um, you know, once we headed to the floor, I, I felt like we probably uh, had the votes. I've always been confident that if we could get this to the floor, that, you know, this issue is too important, there's too much at stake, and that people would ultimately, you know, whether they are excited about it or not, um, would vote their district and, you know, vote like they pledged, uh, vote for the things they ran on, and support this. And so I was glad to see that get done. You know, let's talk about the six months, uh, because you're right, and it's extremely important. Your amendment, by the way, to get the uh, November date taken off of this and have the special election in August is what had to pass before we could actually have the uh, the full House vote uh, on having the August election and, uh, and getting HDR2 uh, approved. Um, what, what have the last six months been like for you, especially considering you knew who your 
colleagues were, meaning those of you who were on the side of this. As it turns out, yesterday there were there were ten members of the Republican caucus who I think need to be called out. Five of them voted against uh, the amendment to to change it to August. <clears throat> Excuse me. Five of them voted for it, uh, voted against it um, uh, in the full House vote. So can you tell me, like, who your allies were and how you were able to overcome your adversaries? Absolutely, Bob. I mean, it, it's, it's been a long journey. Uh, you know, we introduced this in early November. You know, Secretary Frank LaRose and I uh, rolled out this idea, mm-hmm. and we felt pretty good about it. And then, um, you know, candidly, we, you know, somewhat due to attendance and somewhat due to kind of a – you know, rumbling. There were rumblings even back in November and December that votes were being withheld from this based on politics, based on speaker game politics. And so, ultimately, it wasn't done in lame duck. But you know, Derek Nairn and I were talking every day uh, leading into this new general assembly. Uh, Derek actually released a schedule so that we could get this done, have a really productive January, and actually put this on the May ballot. Um, and obviously that, that didn't occur for all the reasons that, uh, you've pretty thoroughly, uh, discussed on this show. Um, and so we blew past the deadline, uh, to be on the May ballot. And really this was kind of in limbo. And when I, <clears throat> when I introduced this back in January, candidly, uh, there was a lot of eye rolls from, from leadership, uh, a lot of discouragement. There was, you know, kind of marbles being rolled under our feet, but we just kind of took, you know, Scott Wiggum and myself and, you know, our, our, our group has been working on this uh, steadily. And, and I'll give credit, there have been some, some members even uh, amongst the 22 who, who I think generally did want to see this issue get done. And so, you know, we tried to do our job, right, Put it, do what's best for the state and, um, you know, put the issue at the, at the forefront. And so it's kind of like being a backup quarterback in the in the NFL, right? You just gotta you gotta stay ready. You gotta uh, you gotta know the playbook. You gotta do everything possible. Be prepared uh, if an opening presents itself. And thankfully, uh, over the last you know weeks and months, uh, the, you know this is a win for the conservative movement. And this is a bottom up this is a bottom up effort to really force this boulder up the hill uh, and get it to the floor. Representative Brian Stewart is my guest. Uh, he was instrumental in getting this uh, August 8th election, special election that's going to happen, passed yesterday. Uh, Representative Stewart, address the protesters. Address the Democrats who screamed and chanted and made so much of a commotion and a ruckus in that chamber yesterday and in that gallery that they eventually had to clear it. Um, and, and also your your colleagues on the Democrat side of that House, um, they're obviously angry about this. They say this is the death of democracy. I say it's actually, this is exactly what democracy looks like. In August, every Ohioan will be, have an opportunity to vote and a simple majority will win whether or not we change that constitution threshold or not. So how do you address those who went rabid yesterday uh, in opposition to this? Well, Bob, there's been so much just absurd, overheated rhetoric over this. And I, it's like I said yesterday, you know, if, if all we're doing is asking Ohioans whether they agree with our proposal or not. Nothing happens. No, nothing is changed by the vote we took yesterday. It merely puts it on the ballot. And so if that is really somebody's idea of an attack on democracy, they need to turn off MSNBC, log off Twitter, and, and regain their grip on reality because this is the epitome of democracy. We are putting an idea before the voters. They can accept it or not. Now, as for the, you know, kind of circus that was going on yesterday, um, 
a lot of it's fake. You know, there's there's 150 people in T-shirts in the state house in a state of you know almost 12 million people. Okay, and so that's not going to dissuade us from doing the right the right thing. Um, I took this job. I ran for this job to work on the big issues. I've never shied away uh, from the tough fight. But people also need to be aware there were professional camera crews with these protesters. There were scripts right for these protesters. A lot of this is um, you know. Uh, kind of a semi-professional protest. A lot of the people we saw there yesterday, we've we've seen on 16 other issues. They're 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 kind of a fixture at the state house. And the other thing you have, Bob, is you have kind of a nine-way primary going on right now in the Ohio House Democrat Caucus to see who gets to lose a state auditor's race by 25 points in a couple of years. Okay, and <laughs> so part of that uh, it involves a lot of props and it involves a lot of you know carefully scripted theater. Um, you know, I, we may have our uh, our disagreements in our own party sometimes, but I'm glad that we don't have to, you know, kind of wave signs and do some of these theatrics to try to get on TV all the time. Yeah, I, I saw your tweet on this, and it's uh, it's it's really quite a sight to behold. It's um, it's something less than civil, I guess I would say, and it's certainly less than professional. Um, as I said to Representative Click this morning, I, I breathed a big sigh of relief as I saw the votes come in and saw that total yesterday, but I refrained from celebrating. And that's because we haven't won anything. All we've done is the all we've won rather is the right to work a lot harder, because uh, that's what we have in front of us now. It's one thing to get the ballot on uh, or to get the special election uh, ready to go in August. It's another thing to win it. What is the strategy? How do we crank out enough voters? They're going to have a you know certainly going to have a get out the vote machine out there to uh, to try to stop this. So uh, what's our strategy for making sure we win the thing in August? Well, it's going to be it's going to be a team effort. It's going to have to be all hands on deck. I think any any statewide campaign, and this is nothing new to your listeners, any statewide campaign that's going to be successful has to be organized. It has to be, um, you know, we we have to have all of our conservative groups rowing in the same direction. We need all all of our voters to be, uh, you know, paying attention and ready to vote. Uh, at frankly, uh, you know, not the, not the best time. I would have preferred this to be in May, but uh, we're going in August. And so we we got to raise awareness. This needs to be the issue in the conservative movement. This should be the issue every single day. There should we, we need no Republican in the state to wake up on August 9th and say, "Oh, gee, I didn't know there was an election yesterday." Because in in a lot of ways, this this question is for a whole lot of the marbles. Um, and it's not just about one issue. It's not just about two issues. It's about the future of our Constitution moving forward. This is increasingly going to be uh, the way that the left attempts to make policy in our state. And we need to open our eyes and, and understand what's being done and, and take some steps, just like we did in the federal constitution, to put some reasonable safeguards on the constitution so that it's not just a policy-making document, but it's actually a governing document. Yeah, and that's that's so very important as well. We're talking with Ohio State Representative Brian Stewart. Uh, big, big victory yesterday, but again, it's a victory that's limited in scale because now the hard work really begins. The real victory will come in August. So does that mean that other conservative items are tabled for the time being? You know, we're sitting here 
celebrating this yesterday to a degree, as I say, but, um, you know, there's backpack bills and there's Save Women Sports Acts, which is, of course, representative clicks. We want this stuff to get done, too. I don't know what the legislative calendar looks like, but um, can we get these things done? Can we walk and chew gum at the same time while also pushing people and, like you say, all hands on deck for August? Well, I certainly think so. Um, you know, I, I think we've been prepared to walk and chew gum for for the last six months. But obviously, you know, we have uh, we have some pretty strong disagreements on a whole lot of things uh, within the caucus. I, you know, I don't know that that's going to change, but we need to try to make it work. And so, you know, we have uh, we passed the Save Women's Sports Act out of a committee again. I hope that comes to the floor soon. Um, I'm on the committee that's hearing. You know, Gary Click's Safe Act, you know, relating to, uh, you know, transgender surgeries for minors. Right? I hope we can get that out. I mean, I kind of look at Florida and I see how much they got done in, you know, 90 days. And you're, you're a little frustrated that, uh, that, uh, we've got these ideas that are sort of, you know, sitting around. So, um, you know, we've got a budget still that we would like to make, we hope comes back from the Senate a whole lot better, uh, than it left the House. And, uh, you know, that's another opportunity for us to get good conservative wins done. So, um, you know, I, I look at tomorrow and I'm, a, you know, I'm glass half full, right? We, we, we came together and did the right thing on a big issue. Uh, I'd like to keep it going. Yeah, I would too. These things are very, very important. And again, I don't know what the working relationship will be like amongst the um, Republicans in this, uh, you know, in this House now. Like I said, there's five who did not vote yesterday with you for this. They sided with the Democrats, and I've been wanting to make them infamous for uh, a long time. Uh, well, we're really the gang of 22 has been, but now I need to say the names of Brett Hillier, Tom Patton, Jay Edwards, Jeff Loray, and Jamie Callender because these individuals voted against this yesterday. They have uh, cast their lot now. I think with the Democrats, and I don't know what that's going to mean going forward. Will there be, uh, you know, the ability to to you know mend fences and work with these people to get these other important issues that you and I just discussed passed? Well, uh, you know, thankfully, Bob, a lot of the other issues that we want to get done only need fifty votes, and so um, you know, when you when you count numbers, we, we should be able to, to to knock out a few of these things in fairly short order. It's it's about the, the frustrating thing in the House sometimes is that it's not really a matter of how many votes it would have on the floor. It's getting it to the floor to begin with. And right. and where you have these opportunities for, you know, five to essentially, you know, the opinion of five to outweigh the opinion of 62. Uh, we need to get away from that. We need to get back to. Um, and, and I think that's why. But, it, but it's much tighter when you're in committee, as you point out. Getting it to the floor is different than winning the floor vote. Some of these people, if they're on the same committees, right. can kill these things. That's that's my concern. Correct. Well, I'll give you an example. You know, we we've got. Uh, I'm on the committee that has Gary Clicks Safe Act, but for mm-hmm. some reason, um, you know, we have seven Republicans and five Democrats, which means you know we can really only lose. We we really can't even lose one Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. That was a choice. You know, if you look at the Senate, you know, those those, those committees are much more reflective of the supermajority that they have. So, yeah, you, you're, you've nailed it. We're, we're dealing with some, some some constraints that, you know, aren't always obvious to, to people at a first glance. But uh, we're committed to showing up every day and making this work. And uh, I hope that tomorrow starts the momentum to, to get those things 
that. Well, you have been there every step of the way, obviously, in getting us to where we are now, uh, particularly with the uh, with the August vote. Uh, Representative Brian Stewart, six months of hard work paid off yesterday. Now we've got about three more months of hard work so that we make sure we pass this thing and uh, protect Ohio's Constitution from those who would uh, who would trifle with it. Uh, Representative Stewart, thank you for what you do. Thank you for your time today. Keep up the great work, and we'll stay in touch. It's an honor, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, there's Representative Brian Stewart. He he literally has just done yeoman's work in uh, in getting this uh, this whole thing done. I uh, can't can't state that strongly enough. Without his work, we're not here now. Uh, without his work, we're just worried about them getting their petitions, enough signatures on their petitions to have this November vote uh, with a simple 50% plus one, which would have, I think, guaranteed. And it still will if we don't win in August. It still will. Uh, be very easily passed to uh, to embed abortion all the way through the ninth month of pregnancy into Ohio's Constitution. It's it's horrific to think of. It's barbaric, but it's reality. If we don't get our stuff together and continue the the good work and uh, uh, and win this election in uh, uh, in August and raise that threshold to sixty percent, ten fifty two. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Uh, I believe that is our last guest of the day. So we've got some time for you now. Uh, 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always right radio is right back. Highly recommend going to the webpage, whkradio.com, and uh, look at the podcast page, and you will see all of the shows that we do, and look for today's date. This will be posted in about an hour after the show. Around 1 o'clock is usually when it gets done. But if you missed any of these interviews, go back and listen to them because they're good. Now, the best part about this is is hour number three is guest-free. So this is an opportunity for you to weigh in on all of what you heard. If you want to talk about whether or not you think August 8th is going to go our way, what you think we need to do to make sure that August 8th and the special election results in the increase in the threshold of the Ohio Constitution being amended to 60%, uh, I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. However, if you also want to talk about, or instead, if you want to talk about the invasion of the United States by millions and millions of foreign-born uh, people looking to come into our country and take advantage of the most weak, spineless, pathetic uh, president, presidential administration in the history of this great nation, and immigration laws that allow an open border, catch and release, and literally the invasion of the United States. If you want to talk about the end of Title 42 today and why it is that the Biden administration is going to surrender our sovereignty in the way that he is, I welcome those calls too. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. This is happening today. We've been leading up to this. We've been talking about it. We've been warning. And now we have to start looking at the realities of it. They're coming here. They're coming to Cleveland. They're coming to your suburban communities. They're coming to the Midwest. They're coming to Indianapolis. They're coming to Chicago. They can't not because they're coming across by the millions. You understand that? One and a half million this fiscal year alone, and the fiscal year doesn't end until October. Over five million in the last two years. They're coming here by the millions. They aren't all staying in Texas and Arizona, New Mexico. They're not staying on the border. They're coming throughout the United States. And they're absorbing resources like you cannot believe. That's what Judge Pirro talked about. 
I want to hear from you at 216-901-0945 right after this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thank you so much for being with us on this Thursday. It is the 11th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2023. The 10th day of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2023 went well yesterday. Better than I thought it would, I have to admit. I really wasn't sure what to expect. Because I still don't trust the leadership of the Ohio House, Speaker Jason Stevens. I still do not trust the Gang of 22. And as we found out yesterday, we had good reason not to trust particularly Tom Patton, Cuyahoga County's own uh, only Republican in the House, um, stabbed every Republican voter in the back. Maybe he was angered. Maybe he was still ticked because they censured him. I don't know. Maybe he has just flipped and he's a full-on Dem. Maybe he's not even trans anymore. Maybe he's going to actually declare Dem. But the trans Dems, at least five of them, stood up yesterday and said, to hell with babies' lives. They stood up yesterday and they said, to hell with the constituency that gave us our jobs. Look, this is a red state. The people of Ohio have been consistently voting red, presidential election after presidential election. They have been red in the gubernatorial races. They have been red in virtually all of the statewide races, state office races. Obviously, they gave a supermajority to the House and to the Senate. That means we expect our representatives in that General Assembly to do our will, to to, to do exactly what we want them to do. They're representing us. And we sent them there to do conservative things, not their own things. And yet here we sit. Here we sit. Some of them, the majority of the trans Dems, the gang of 22, did go ahead and do the right thing yesterday, including Speaker Stevens himself. But it took them literally waiting until the very last minute yesterday, because yesterday was deadline day, and five of them still did not come along. Tom Patton full-on trans-dem, now just probably straight-dem. Brett Hillier, Jay Edwards, Jeff LeRae, and uh, uh, Jamie Callender. All of them just stabbed their constituencies in the back and, again, sold out babies. They sided with the Democrats. And not just babies, but they sold out our whole Constitution. 
putting it in serious jeopardy every time they want to have one of these ballot initiatives to do something as radical as what they are going to do in November. That's what would happen. A simple majority, 50% plus one vote. That's what the Democrats wanted to keep in place, and that's what these individuals helped do or tried to help do. We should also point out the names of some of the individuals who did not even vote to um, uh, uh, change the language in SJR2 to August from November before they could even have that vote. There, there were five other of the trans Dems, essentially, who stayed true to their form uh, in, in that vote. And we read those names during uh, the interview that I did with, um, with Gary Click this morning. Um, those individuals should be called out, and I'm looking for that short list of their names now, and I cannot, uh, here, here they are. Um, this would be John Cross, Adam Holmes, Mike Loichick, Gail Manning, and Sharon Ray. They voted against the amendment changing the election date back to August 8th, but then they did vote for the final resolution. Surprising, especially when it comes to Cross. And Sharon Ray, who is, who is very, very outspoken in a very, very conservative district in Medina as well. So there are t- at least 10 Republicans, and I'm still not confident that we can trust to help us get out the message in August to vote for uh, the changing of the resolution, or the, cha- the resolution to change the Constitution, rather, to uh, 60%, to amend it. I'm not going to be trusting of John Cross, Adam Holmes, Mike Loichick, Gail Manning, Sherrod Ray, uh, Brett Hillier, Tom Patton, Jay Edwards, Jeff Loray, and Jamie Callender, because look what they just did. So there's a lot of work still to be done before you know we can breathe a sigh of relief. A lot of work. You better believe the Democrats are livid, and they are going to do everything they can. They will lie, cheat, and steal, and vote two, three times that that's what they have to do to win this special election in August. Their rage is going to drive them to crank out numbers. The question is, is will our passion, not rage, but will our passion drive us to do the same? It is, as Representative Stewart just told me, an all-hands-on-deck approach. But I think there's at least 10 Republicans in names that I just read to you that I don't think will be hands-on-deck for us. So it's going to take even that much more work for everyone else. Sally is in Berea, 216-901-0945, by the way. Let's hear from you. Sally is in Berea on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Sally, go ahead. Hi, Bob. I'll be brief for a change. We know that the Dems are already organized. And now is the time to get out the early vote. And I will do anything legally in my power, including any legal ballot harvesting. But we have to reach out to get the early vote. Thanks, Bob. Okay, thank you, Sally. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to look into it, too. I don't know that off the top of my head. Is the special election going to be treated like a regularly scheduled election and have a 30-day advance voting, early voting period? I don't know that. Can people start voting on July 8th? I don't know that to be the case. I don't know that it's not the case. I'm pleading ignorance here. I probably should have asked Brett, or uh, uh, Gary Click or uh, Brian Stewart about that. But um, whenever you can vote, whether there is early voting or not, or there is just the regular election day, uh, yeah, we've got to get out there and do it, and we've got to do whatever it takes. Um, Typically, 
and this is one of the reasons the Democrats and the uh, trans Dems argued against the special election. Typically, special elections draw an even lower turnout than you know regular primary elections often do, or off-year elections do. Um, and that's one of the reasons they said, oh, this won't be representative of 11 million Ohioans because you're not going to have a big turnout. It's only going to be a small percentage of people, and that may be true. But whatever that percentage is, if that voter turnout is 5% or 30% or 50% and shocks everybody, there better be more people there protecting Ohio's Constitution than there are trying to change it. It's that important. It's that important. So, Sally, thank you. Tanya in Akron next, AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Tanya. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. We did a good job yesterday. Small win, but a big win. So... I was interested in what Dr. Piper said. He said about trust. You know, we don't trust each other. And we're going to have to do a lot of building that trust back so we can win this this special election in in August. And we will have everybody out in November to to vote down the uh, all the money that's going to be coming into the state of Ohio, trying to buy our vote. And I just thought of something different. We need to get some younger but, but, people. But but Tanya, in here. before you well, before you get into the youth part of that conversation, let's talk about the trust part of that conversation. There's good reason mm-hmm. for that, and I just outlined some of the reasons why conservatives and Republicans can't trust one another. Oftentimes, as Dr. Piper said, because of things like this. I mean, 22 of them in in the Republican caucus sided with the Democrats. They went behind closed doors, made a deal with Allison Russo, and away we go. So you wonder why there's no trust among Republicans. You'll notice the Democrats didn't crack. The Democrats didn't have um, a number of them saying, no, I really protect life, and even though I'm a Democrat or I'm a liberal or whatever, I believe in life and I believe in the protection of the Constitution. It should be very, very difficult to change. That's why it was written the way that it was, blah, 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 and, and, and break from their ranks. They are almost always unified. We are almost always um split to a degree even if it's a small split so that's why there's no trust because um you know we we cannot trust uh you know the individuals who make up our our caucus or our group to do the right thing by way of their constituents i think that goes both ways too i think that what i was more thinking of is that that was total that was total uh an abomination what they did i'm talking about individuals, neighbors, and neighbors trusting each other to go out and vote and do the things that we're supposed to be doing and having conversations. I think that's that's more of the part that I'm talking about. Well, you know what, Tanya? I'm glad you did clarify. We're not talking about just trusting trust among legislators or elected officials, but trust among just Republican voters. I think that's a very fair point. And the, the most important word you just said was conversations. There are Republicans that I know that I don't know I would be comfortable having conversations with about uh, this particular issue and about going out on August 8th and voting to raise that threshold to 60%. There are Republicans. I don't know if they would receive it the right way. I don't know if I trust them to receive it the right, the right way or that they would trust me that I'm giving them solid advice here. Uh, and I do this for a living. I talk about this stuff and I make arguments about it for a living. So I agree with you. It's probably very difficult for some people to go out there and talk other people that we think are like-minded into uh, into acting. Yeah. So I need your help, Bob. How's that? You know how much you love Mark Robinson, right? I love him. Okay. Have you heard of John Amatuko? I don't think so. 
He's the past one of the young pastors at that church. He wrote a book called Erase. You need to get him on your show. He's dynamic, and he's a firebrand. He's not a firebrand like Candace Owens and anyone else, but he talks about this. And I'm going to try to get him in our church. I got to talk to my pastor. I bought eight, eight of his books. I love this man. If you love Mark Robinson, what he was saying, this man is saying the same thing. And that's spell, Holy Church in North Carolina. Spell his name for me. I want to look him up. A-M-N-C-H-U-A-W-U. You made that up. His first name is John. <laughs> you made that up. That's too many vowels. I don't know if I can do that. Uh, no, okay. it's not. I don't know what he is. He was a football player at North Carolina State. No, I'm teasing. I found him. I found him. <laughs> I found, and you know what else? I love. I just looked him up, and erased is not like you think. Erased is spelled. It's E R E A C E D. Erased, as in race. And then the subtitle is "Uncovering the Lies of Critical Race Theory and Abortion." Wow. Uh, I don't we know need him. him. Uh, you don't know him, but get him on the line. We need him in Ohio to speak to as many churches, black and white churches because he talks about the abortion issue better than anyone else I've ever heard. Well, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to do exactly what you ask. I'm going to reach out. Marianne and Marcy and my team are listening. I'm sure they're on it right now. We'll try to do that. So you're saying he was one of the pastors on that uh, uh, in that church when Mark Robinson made his church. remarks. He's a pastor at that yes. church. Okay. Yeah, he's the son-in-law of the pastor there. That's the wonderful. That that's why he's one of the reasons why I thought Mark Robinson was also a pastor because he was up there with about ten or twelve of those guys behind him, all wearing white collars, and all of them were pastors, and they're all cheering along as Mark Robinson did his thing. And I thought Mark, that's one of the firebrand pastors, <laughs> and uh, yep. uh, turns out he was not. Yeah, but, but we need we we need him, and because someone said they had someone from Michigan here, Christine Camaro uh, Camaro from the Michigan RNC, how does she do that in Detroit and when? We need to have we need to have secrets of how people are winning. That even when I'm trying to run in twenty twenty three, my son, because I'm not wasn't driving, asked me why am I was I okay going into this church in Hudson? Because he was like, Mama, you're gonna be safe. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna be safe. Okay? We have to get people out of their shells. I have so many conversations with my friends, and they know I'm on the opposite side of them because they are dying-a-hard Democrats, but they can't argue against when I say certain things about life and when I say certain things about meritocracy. They well, have you're, no, they you're have lucky, they you're lucky they're still your friends because most Democrats that I know or even moderate Republicans that cannot argue against the things that I present, they just end up, I end up losing them as friends. They can't win the argument, so they choose. To, it's like, it's like what Twitter does or did anyway before Elon. Um, it's what the, the, the left does. If they can't win the argument, they call you a racist and they disconnect you or they, uh, uh, they block you or they shut down your account or put you in Facebook jail or whatever. When they can't win the arguments, they want silence rather than, uh, uh, you know, than, than, than losing the debate. So you're lucky you still have those friends. Tanya, I'm glad you called. Great information. I'm going to look up doc, I mean, uh, uh, Pastor John Amanchuku. Amanchuku. Amachuko. Oh, you got it. I'm Amachuko. Amanchuko. 
Okay, got it. We're going to look him up. We'll try to get him on because I think that's great advice, and we'll uh, we'll we'll continue that. Thank you, my my friend. I appreciate your call. It's eleven twenty three. We'll take a time out now and come right back. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. We're coming back on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, it's 1128, short segment here, but i got time for a call. Let's get in uh, Joe in Westlake next. Joe, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, sir. Good morning, Bob. I'd like to offer my opinion that the 60% upcoming vote will actually be a mistake for conservatives. Uh Uh-oh. The reason reason why, you have to ask, why would someone like Frank LaRose propose this? And the, the answer is that they know they control the legislature. By stopping amendments to the Constitution, they're going to not only stop this in the future, but they're also going to stop us. And we've hold, got on, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your phone hiccup there for a second. I didn't hear that. You said by stopping the amendments, and then say it again, please. By stopping the amendments, they will not only stop leftists, they will also stop us. Okay, now no, thank you. I, your phone just glitched right at the wrong spot there. Tell me what you mean by stopping us. We have two important amendments. One we're already working on, and one is a future amendment. The first one is the right to refuse ballot initiative, which we're still trying to, you know, get on the vote. But it's going to stop mandatory medical treatments such as vaccines. That was probably one of the motivating reasons Frank LaRose proposed this. And there's another amendment that we need that we need to work on in the future, which is to stop Democrats from voting in our primaries. You see, Bob, they know they control legislature, but they can't stop us when we push our own constitutional amendments. I guess I guess my question, Joe, would be why do you, why would we need to make that a constitutional amendment? Why wouldn't we just let that be legislated? Why can't we ask our supermajority to close the primaries? Why can't we ask our supermajority to uh, you know to uh, you know write a law that says we have the right to refuse mandatory injections? Because we don't actually have a supermajority; we have a purple majority. They're they're let, let's face it; they're they're dealing with money i'm trying to put this in a way that's you know yeah okay acceptable there's there's a lot of money involved and if we you know if we could rely on them we would have got hb248 passed we would have got the mapping done right we would have got 10 other things done right what why why do they keep betraying us it's because we don't actually have a super majority they know that we have a fake majority okay you raise a you raise a very valid question joe and i appreciate the call thanks very much um i asked frank larose yesterday why uh you know why he wanted to have the special election and why he supports the 60 percent i'm going to play that answer coming up here after the bottom of the hour break and then we'll go back to more calls right after this always right radio enlightening 
the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yeah, 11.35. Um, the last caller made some very good points. These are points that my friend Rob Walgate has made, too. Um, changing the threshold to 60% will be good for us for this November uh, ballot initiative. When I say us, I'm talking about people who believe in life, believe, people who believe in letting kids be kids and not letting them be uh, butchered and uh, uh, and uh, chemically castrated and other things without parental consent. Uh, obviously, unborn babies and so forth. However, looking forward, if we raise the level to 60%, will it hurt us if there are things that we want to put on as ballot initiatives to amend the Ohio Constitution? And the answer is, yeah, it makes it harder. But I don't think I would... I don't think I would trade off. I don't. Um, and I know Frank LaRose wouldn't either, to, to the caller's point. Um, I would rather make it much more difficult to amend the Ohio Constitution than to just have a simple willy-nilly, you know, uh, uh, simple majority vote, depending on, you know, how many people come out. You know, you get 10,000 people come out in a state of 11 million people, and if 5,000 and one of them vote one way and 4,999 vote the other way, uh, you know, we're changing the Constitution? I don't want it to be that simple. There's a reason why the United States Constitution takes 75% of the states to ratify any constitutional amendment. You know, and, and what that means is the way the left frames is, oh, you're letting min- minority rule. That's what they're arguing in this case. You know, if 59.99% of Ohio voters, um, you know, want an amendment to be passed and only 39. You know, one nine percent of the voters don't want it to pass. Well, then the minority wins. You know, in in our sixty forty scenario, then the minority wins. That's not democracy. Well, are you saying you think that the the United States Constitution should be changed? You're saying that the United States Constitution should go with just fifty percent of the states plus one. They made it difficult to. And by the way, Ohio is is the outlier. Ohio is the outlier. Almost every other state has a much, much higher threshold to change their state constitutions because they know how important it is. You can't just let the the, the political winds of the moment sway just 50% plus one voter uh, to change something and to embed something in the Constitution. It's just, it should be more difficult even if we didn't have this abortion situation for, for this coming November. So I understand the point that Joe made about, you know, right to refuse and, and so forth, but I, I, it should be very difficult for both sides to change the Constitution, I have to say. And if our legislators aren't doing the job we want them to do, if they're not the supermajority because it's too purplish, because some of the rhino reds uh, conflict with the deep dark reds, uh, you know, that we rely on to be true conservatives, I get that, then vote for better ones. But I think it should be more difficult to change the Ohio Constitution. I asked Frank LaRose about some of this yesterday, also about why it is we should put this on the ballot in August when just last year, um, you know, they voted to, uh, uh, to uh, 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 get rid of special elections. And he said this. Yeah, let me... Hold on a second. One more time. Yeah, let me explain this very clearly, because, again, this is the problem when the leftist media gets to set the narrative and set the agenda. We should not accept their framing of of this issue. Here's what we did last year, and this is something that the election officials 
and in a bipartisan way, people around the state have been saying for a long time that we should do. It is a good uh, improvement in public policy to eliminate every August opportunities for taxing jurisdictions to have special elections. That's what we did last year. We said going forward, there will not be an opportunity every August for school levies and for sewer district levies and for park district levies to be snuck in when, when no one is paying attention. That is something that um, I stand by and was uh, very glad that we were able to get done. Very different from that, however, is that the state legislature has always had, for 220 years of Ohio's history, the ability to set the time, place, and manner of elections. Now, at their discretion, they can hold an election in December. I would advise against that. That would be a foolish idea. But the state legislature could hold an election whenever they want to. That is their authority in the Constitution. And for them to say, we want to have an August special election to decide this constitutional question is completely consistent with what we did last year and in no way is uh, hypocritical when, you know, what we did last year was eliminate as a regular course of operating a normal business uh, every year, year after year, the ability for local jurisdictions to have an August election. So that's a big deal. Uh, that's a big part of the conversation. I know that wasn't specific to the issue of um, the election, but he spent most of his time yesterday talking about the uh, the election to change the threshold to 60% and why it works. I think it should be more difficult no matter who wants to change it. I just do. Uh, I think, the the uh, like I said, the, the majority of the states have it like that, where it's two-thirds, it's 66%, or it's 75%. I, there's, there may be just a handful of states, a small handful of states, that are as weak on protecting the constitution from radical changes at 50 percent uh besides ohio i think a very small handful uh tj's next hi tj go ahead yeah hello bob yes sir yeah uh you know i it doesn't look like we can stop this illegal immigration but what we could do is start advertising who are the sanctuary cities they could go to uh start putting up signs flyers you're welcome here like in oberlin or lakewood uh, these are the people that are supporting this. Let them take them in and let the illegals know who the ones that are welcoming. I, I know if I was an illegal, I would much prefer to go to a city that says, hey, I'm a sanctuary city. Come on in. We'll take care of you. But you know as well as I do what that means. Those sanctuary cities, like the virtue signaling of we're welcoming to all, we'll defend you. But when they start coming, they kick them out. Eric Adams is telling the suburbs around New York City to get ready because they're going. once they get brought up from Texas up to New York City, they're going to be exporting them into the suburbs. Because even though New York City is a proud sanctuary city, they don't want them. Look at what happened at uh, Martha's Vineyard. Oh, we're a sanctuary city. We welcome all. Well, then DeSantis sent a plane load of them up there. Within 24 hours, they had the National Guard getting them the hell off of their island. So no, these sanctuary no, cities, they like the name. They like the title. They like the virtue, but they don't like to actually provide sanctuary and, and spend their own money and their own resources on these people. Well, that's true. And, and they are hypocrites, but couldn't the cities that are not sanctuary cities pass uh, legislation in their own city to ban this, to ban them from coming? They you know, probably uh, could. But you, yeah, they probably could. But first of all, that's that's a that's a time-consuming thing, even at, at, this, at the local city level, to, to pass legislation like that or ordinances like that. Uh, and second of all, you know what that comes with. All of the virtue signalers who don't want them to come, but they don't want to be on the record as saying they don't want them to come, they're going to oppose it. 
Because they know that if they say, yeah, we vote to ban you know, illegal immigrants from coming here, that we are not a sanctuary city, we're going to turn you in, they're going to get called racist. So even city council members don't want to deal with that, TJ. No, I, I mean, I mean no, the whole thing, and this is what's bad about it, these cities like New York and Chicago, they're getting flooded with them. Yeah. Well, you know what? Biden's going to bail them out with federal tax money to take oh, care yeah. of these illegals. So we're going to end up paying for it one way or the other. We're, no question you know, we're about get it. Screwed. No question about it. Thank you, my friend. Katie is in uh, Euclid. Katie, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, hello. Um, I just wanted to mention that I am actually shocked to find out that um, before this bill, I didn't know that it was 51%. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's not even American, because when you think about the, um, like you said, federal constitution, if we love America, which conservatives definitely do, um, we are proud of America. We are proud of our constitution. We want to keep it that way. That's two-thirds, that's 66%. Having 60% in the, the state, to me, is reasonable, completely reasonable. And honestly, I, I, I think if they market it like, if you love the Constitution, if you love America, no matter what side you're on, you need to vote for this. You know what, Katie, that's well said, and you're 100% right. It is reasonable. We're not, And thank you for the call. That's a great call to end the show on. I'm glad she called when she did. It is reasonable. We're not talking about trying to be unreasonable. We're not trying to talk about, you know, 90 per. I mean, I think, in my opinion, I think every state should model their, their constitutional amendment procedure after the United States. 75%. It should be an overwhelming majority to do something as extreme as amending your constitution. I think that should be the number. To settle at 60 is very reasonable. Katie, great call. Thanks to my guest today. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to my team. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.